This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. This morning's reading of God's perfect word comes from Luke chapter 6, verses 37 to 42. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into the pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Good morning, First Press. And happy Mother's Day to all of the moms who are gathered with us this morning, and those who are at home um, watching us through the live feed. Um, Let's take a moment and just open in prayer, and then we'll get to our text in Luke chapter 6. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do come before you, and Lord, we are very thankful for the gifts that you've given. Lord, we're thankful for the moms that you've placed in our life um, who direct us and encourage us, and Lord, those are a direct reflection of your goodness. And so, Lord, we pray that you would bless each mom today, and Lord, yet we know that We, as people, constantly need your care and your hand and your fellowship. Lord, we do thank you for your word, and we thank you for the Holy Spirit who teaches us and directs us. Lord, we pray that we would continue to know you better and to begin to reflect you more and more in the way in which we live our lives, the things we say, the thoughts we think, the things we desire, and the way we live. Lord, we know that there are many in our own community and specifically in our own church that are struggling, and so, Lord, we pray for them. We pray, Lord, for those who are struggling this day in the area maybe have lost a loved one and, uh, Lord, just seem to be really struggling and grieving through that process. We pray for those who are struggling physically, as we know there are many who are still battling And many who are battling other things besides COVID are battling things uh, like cancer. And so, God, we pray that you would minister to each need. Lord, we pray for those who are struggling emotionally. We pray for those who are struggling spiritually. And so, Lord, we pray for them because we recognize that you are the great healer, the great physician, the great doctor. And so, Lord, minister to them. And we pray, Lord, that you would minister to us. We pray that, Lord, as we come and gather around your word this morning, whether we're here present in this room or at home, that as we gather, that we would be transformed, that we would be made anew. God, that you would do your perfect work in us, conforming us more and more to the image of your beloved Son, our Savior, 
Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would protect my words. I pray, Lord, that I would be faithful to your word, that I would not say anything more nor less than you've given me to say. But God, I pray that I would be faithful to your word this morning. We pray believing that you will do even better than we know how to ask or pray. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. In the 1990s, Gatorade, that's right, Gatorade. We're talking about Gatorade this morning. In 1990s, the Gatorade uh, company set out a campaign, and that campaign was entitled, Be Like Mike. Anybody remember that? Be Like Mike? Okay. Be Like Mike was a Gatorade commercial featuring the basketball player Michael Jordan. It originated and aired on August 8, 1991. In the very first film footage, it featured children playing with Michael Jordan and wishing they could be just like their favorite basketball star. They wanted to be like Mike. What's often overlooked is there was a little jingle, it was a famous jingle, and actually sold more than 100,000 copies. And that jingle went like this. Sometimes I dream that he is me. You've got to see that's how I dream to be. I dream to move. I dream to groove. I dream to be like Mike if I could be like Mike. Boy, those are special words, aren't they? <laughs> you hear that and you think, well, what, what's the big deal? Why, why does that have anything to do with me? Well, the reality for all of us is we all dream to be something else. We do in some category, some way, where none of us are happy with exactly who we are. We want to be different. And we're much uh, like exactly what Gatorade seemed to zero in on, that humanity desires to be better, to be different, to be fill-in-the-blank. The truth is we're willing to pursue that effort of being different. You think about the way in which we will actually hire gym instructors, uh, baseball instructors, educational instructors. We'll hire financial instructors. We'll hire instructors of all kinds just so that we can be different than we are currently right now because we all hunger to be something else. The truth of the question of that is that who are you following? Who are you pursuing to be? Who's, who's leading you? Who's guiding you? See, that's really the question of our text. I would draw your attention back to our text this, for this morning is that Jesus is speaking specifically on the mount. It's, it's a plain in the mount, and he's speaking, he's speaking to the people. And I've reminded you for the last couple of weeks that as he speaks, he's actually made eye contact, according to chapter 6, verse 20, to his disciples, his newly chosen 12, who are going to be his apostles, who are going to follow him in ministry. He made eye contact with them to say, you need to be like, not Mike, but me, Jesus said. You'd be like me. And that's the standard to which Jesus set. And as Jesus begins to describe, and we'll get there in a few minutes, of what it means to be like Christ, he uses a variety of illustrations to make his point. He starts out with the idea of it's important you have the right instructor. It's important that you have the right guide. And notice he says the blind can't lead the blind, verse 39. 
And too often in the world, that's exactly what's happening. The blind are leading the blind. Rather than following Christ, we're following anyone and everyone else in the hope that we can be better. But guess what? According to verse 39, this just leads to ruin. Both, it says, fall into the ditch. No one's made better. They're actually left worse when the blind lead the blind. But in verse 40, it says something else. It says, the truth is that a a student or a disciple will never be above his master. And this is Jesus kind of probing yet a little deeper, the blind leading the blind. Who are you following? Because remember, you'll never be better than your master. But when you're fully trained, you'll be just like your master. So who are you following is what Jesus is saying. Who are you pursuing? Who are you trying to be like? Because recognize, when you're fully trained, that's what you'll look like. So it causes us to pause and to think and to reflect on who is it that I'm following? Who is it that I'm trying to be like? See, Jesus is making the point, you need to be like me. You need to be following me. Uh, Jesus is saying again this to the specifically chosen 12, but for all to hear, you need to be like me. If you're going to live in the kingdom, if you're going to be part of my kingdom, then you need to follow the king. You need to be like the king. See, the imitation of Christ was understood by the apostles. In fact, even by Paul himself, who was also an apostle, although not one of the original 12, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Paul understood very clearly how important it was. It's not enough to simply just set the gauge, but we should be setting the gauge that we're only following those who truly are following Jesus. Friends, I would say that's why godly parents are so important. And today's Mother's Day, and let's just take a moment and reflect on that. Moms play a key role in our development, as do dads. But moms play a key role in showing their children how to live like Jesus. That's why it's so important that our parents, our our mothers and our fathers, are pursuing Christ-like character traits. That they're pursuing to be like Jesus. See, it's only possible to go as far as those who are teaching you. So as parents, that's kind of a shot in the gut, isn't it? Because we're the ones who teach our children how to pray. We teach our children how to depend on God. How are we doing, parents, is that? Do they see the ultimate dependence they should have upon Jesus for everything? Or just when we lost something, or just when we're frustrated? Do they see us pray over the meal that we truly are grateful for God's provision? Are we teaching our children to rightly treat others well? Or do we talk about others behind their back when they're not present so our children absorb that and they see that's exactly how you live? Gossiping's okay. Putting others down. Being critical. Being judgmental is normal in the church. Do we teach our children truly right from wrong? And when we get a little extra change back from the register, and do we let people know, hey, I didn't get the right amount here? You know, the other day I, we were out, my brother and I, we were, we were shopping for my mom. 
And my brother got a quote over the phone for what we were purchasing. I can't tell you because it's still a surprise. But uh, but we got a quote on what we were going to buy. And so we drove out there together to get it. And I'm just standing there as the younger brother. He's the older brother, and he's handling the transaction. And I'm just there smiling because that's what younger brothers, I guess, are supposed to do. And as I'm standing there, I realize that the lady said the amount, and the amount was less. I got to admit, for a moment, I was like, keep your mouth shut. We're going to come out ahead in this deal. And my brother, who was raised by the same mom that I was, quickly said, oh, that's not right. And he pulled out the receipt and said, this is what I was quoted, and it cost us more. But it was the right thing to do. And as parents, are we teaching our children what to do from the right perspective, from the godly perspective, to be Christ-like? You know, when I was younger, I remember the very first time I stole something. I remember I was, I was at a grocery store with my mom and my brother, and I remember that I saw there on those racks, right at you at the checkout, right? I'd made it through the whole store. I got to the checkout, and I saw this certain brand of gum that just was so intriguing to me. I wonder how that tastes. And I remember just quickly looking at the package, and my mom probably saw me looking at it, but she probably assumed because she had raised me to be, you know, a good kid. I was supposed to put it back, but I decided... This was too good. I needed to take it home. And I was smart enough to keep it in my pocket the entire ride. I didn't pull it out. I didn't start playing with it. I waited until we got home, and I went to my room, and I opened it up, and I put that first piece of gum in my mouth. I remember how good it tastes. It was just at that moment my brother barged through the door. Having older brothers is a problem, isn't it? (laughs) I remember him barging through that door, and I remember him going, Mom! He knew I didn't have gum before we went to the grocery store. How in the world did I have gum after? It was at that moment my mom put me back in the car and drove me all the way back to the grocery store for a 25 or 35 cent pack of gum, and I had to meet the manager. And I had to explain to him what I had done. Now, some of you may sit back and go, that's silly. I mean, all the gas she wasted. All the time. I mean, when it's 35 cents. In fact, when we got to the grocery store, I remember her waiting in line to talk to somebody, and she talked to one lady, and the lady just kind of rolled her eyes like, oh, just go home. It's not a big deal. My mom said, no, it is a big deal. I want to see the manager. I'm trying to teach my child something. See, we're only going to be as good as those who are in front of us and leading us. And we should only truly be willing to follow those who are following Christ. That's Christ's point. That's the type of disciples he wants to make. Those who are reflecting him so that others can reflect him. That's the goal. That's the purpose. What are we teaching our children about sin? Are we saying sin is serious and we need to repent of it and run from it and turn from it? Are we excusing it, shrugging our shoulders about it, laughing about it? And Jesus seemed to think sin was pretty serious because all through his ministry, he was telling people why he came, and he came to die for sin. Sin wasn't a joking matter to Jesus. Jesus wanted to make sure everyone understood the seriousness for his coming. He came to die. 
So Jesus is trying to say to the disciples, it's important that you get the right instructor. Be like me, Christ says. Be like me. As we've already stated, a bad instructor can lead to ruin. But a good instructor, he leads us to walk in the steps of Christ. See, Jesus sets a high standard, doesn't he? Look at some of the examples he gives throughout our text. Verse 37, he says, judge not. Judge not. That's one of the most famous quoted verses of all time, especially today. Judge not. Nobody wants to be judged. The world understands that judging is, in many senses, wrong. It's evil. It's wicked because the wrong people are doing the judging. They're casting sentence on others. One of the old dead guys I like to look at, he wrote a commentary on the whole Bible. His name's Matthew Poole. And he says here about judging, he says, what's forbidden in this text that Jesus is referring to here is private judgment. He makes it very clear, not all judging is bad. Clearly, there are times for judging to be done because sin is serious and must be taken serious. But there's a process for that, he goes on to say. And the process for sin is that the church is to handle it properly, not individually. In Matthew 18, it specifically gives the guidelines for the church dealing with sin. And when someone won't repent, it tells them what they're to do with the individual. In John chapter 20, verse 23, Jesus again gives direction to the church, talking to the apostles about the the New Testament church. He says, if you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, they're withheld. He's saying there's power in the church. This isn't an individual power. This is a corporate power. We need to understand that obviously the church has the right to discipline. The church has the right to judge But we're not to do this privately. We're not to play judge. In the book of James, James chapter 4, verse 12, it says, There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? James asks. We have no right to judge individually. See, privately passing judgment on others is playing God. Let me say that again. Privately playing, uh, I'm sorry, privately passing judgment on others is playing God. That's an important point. And if we're honest, most of us struggle with judgment. That's why Jesus gave the illustration of the speck in your brother's eye versus the log in your own eye. In verses 41 and 42, he makes it clear that first you need to remove the big giant log out of your eye, then you could actually see clear to worry about the speck in your brother's eye. And all of of us who shake our head to verses like this need to remember, we have logs in our eye. We have logs that need to be removed. It's not just our neighbor that has a log, but we have a log. And if we're honest with ourselves, we need to stop being critical of others and be more critical of ourselves. We're judgmental, aren't we? We're judgmental when we drive down the street and we see the homeless man on the streets and we immediately think, just go get a job. He's being lazy. That's judgment. We judge the woman whose child acts up 
And we ultimately think, man, she must be a bad mom. She must not have control of her family. That's judgment. We judge in the way we, we think. We judge in the way that we assume upon others because they don't act right or talk right. And so therefore we judge them because it's not meeting our standard. And so we place our sentence upon them. Yet not so with Christ. Christ who is perfect, he came to die for sin. And notice what he said in John 12. He said, I came not to judge the world, but to save it. And if Jesus, who was sinless, can say that, I came not to judge, but to save, how much more should those who are his live like that? See, judgment turns into condemnation, doesn't it? And Jesus knew that because Jesus' next warning is not to condemn. Those who are like me don't condemn. What is condemnation? It's being heartless. It's lacking compassion. It's being merciless. We condemn when we throw people away. We view them as not salvageable, not savable. That's what we do when we condemn Who are we to condemn? When the reality of Scripture tells us, and Mike already stated when he led us in prayer together, that we deserve to be condemned because of our sins. So who are we to condemn others? And see, Jesus again comes and he reminds us, the reason I came is not to condemn, but to save. Listen to his words in John 3, verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. See, if we're honest, as we look and reflect upon our lives, there's a lot of times we're not reflecting Christ very well. We're not reflecting Christ to our families, our children. In fact, we're probably following the wrong instructors. And it requires us to adjust as parents, we need to adjust. We need to adjust. But here's what Jesus says we should look like. In verse 37, he says, forgive. The idea of forgiving is the idea of setting free. It's the idea of not holding others in bondage. It's the exact opposite of judging and condemning. Forgiving is the exact opposite. You want to know what you shouldn't do? Don't be judgmental. Don't be condemning. You want to know what you should do? You need to be quick to forgive. That's what it looks like to be like Christ. That should be the response of every disciple of Jesus. Quick to forgive. Why? Because Jesus forgives us. You know, one of the most amazing things is, and we talked about this last week, Jesus is on the cross, and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what to do. They do. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. You know what? If you flip over the book of Acts, you don't need to do it right now, but you look in chapter 7, you get all the way down, a lot of verses there in chapter 7, you get all the way down to verse 60, that's the exact same words that Stephen uses when Stephen is being stoned. He says, Father, forgive them. Isn't it amazing that one of the disciples of the disciples is now using the very same words of Jesus? That should be seen everywhere. The church should be known by its love, 
It's forgiveness. It's grace. It's mercy. Forgiving is the goal. We who've been forgiven should be quick to bear that fruit of forgiving others. In fact, that's what we're taught to pray in the very words of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us as we forgive others. That's scary words, isn't it? Especially when we reflect how often we don't forgive. Forgive us as we forgive others. See, here's the point. Jesus is saying, you're empowered to forgive because I've forgiven you. You're enabled to forgive because of the forgiveness I give. And one of the things that's most astounding to me in this text is Jesus doesn't stop at just forgiving. Like, if I forgave, then it's enough. Notice he goes yet further in verse 38, and he finally reaches the climax of what he's after. I don't just want you to be forgivers. I want you to be givers. Because giving costs us something. And giving means that we have to have the right heart. And this is exactly what Jesus desires, that we would understand how much we've been blessed, that we would be willing to bless others, that we would not be judgmental, that we would not be condemning, that we would be forgiving, and that we would be giving one to another. And why? Jesus isn't again asking us to do anything he himself hasn't already done. According to Paul in the book of Romans, Jesus gives us all things. Everything you have isn't because you earned it. It's because of the grace of God. The children you have aren't aren't there because you're just perfect. It's the fact that God blessed you with those children. The job you have because God blessed you with that job. The house, the car, the life is everything that God has given you in Christ because Christ is the source of all the good things we have. As the good shepherd, according to Psalm 23, he's the one that makes our cup overflow. Surely goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life because of him. Because of him. That's what we need to be quick to say. It's all because of him. And because of him and all that he's given me, I'm quick to give to you. I'm quick to lend without expecting anything in return. I'm quick to give because of all that has been given to me. And look at the response Jesus gives in verse 38. He says, it will be given to you Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, overrunning, it will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. That's a scary statement for some of us because we're not used to giving to anyone. We're just takers. Our culture teaches us to be takers. Yet we're told here that we're going to receive back. This isn't some form of prosperity gospel. This is the truth of God being fair and loving and gracious and saying, I've given you so much. How are you using it? Some of us, we don't give anything away. We just take. And we love to hear that everyone else is supposed to give because our mind starts floating to all the things we should be giving, missing the point that we ourselves as disciples and reflections of Christ should be willing and accepting to give on our own. So how are we doing with that? 
How are we doing with the giving? See, a true disciple of Jesus not only not judges and not condemns, but they're forgiving and they're giving just like Jesus. See, it's a remarkable resemblance because they are walking just like Christ. A couple of weeks ago, I preached to you from John 6, and we looked at the reality of our inability. And we talked about the fact that those who were blessed were those who really understood they were poor spiritually. Those who are blessed are those who hunger for righteousness. Those who are blessed are those who weep over sin. Those who are blessed are those who are persecuted for Christ's sake. And yet here in the illustrations that Jesus uses, the blind leading the blind, the disciple and his master, the log in your own eyes, Jesus is repeating that same theme saying, you can't do this on your own. You need me. You need the Holy Spirit. You need the strength that I provide so that you truly won't be judging. You truly won't be condemning. You truly will be forgiving. You truly will be giving. You need me to be like me. You need Jesus to be like Jesus because our hope is found in Christ. Our salvation from sin is found in Christ. Paul writes to a young pastor by the name of Titus, encouraging him in his ministry, and this is what he says in Titus 3. He says, he, referring to Jesus, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, a renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What is he saying? He's saying ultimately, we're not earning our salvation. We're just now living out the love we've received. Our new identity in Jesus is now flowing out of us. See, salvation is a gift. And good works they flow from this new identity. Our good works are not the cause of salvation, but they're the fruit of salvation. They're the identity marker that you're truly in Christ. So I say examine yourselves. That's what I've been doing this week. I've been examining myself. And as I, as I look in, let me tell you, there's things I don't like that I see. Where do I stand this message isn't just for somebody else. This message is for all those who claim to be a disciple of Jesus. Do you resemble your master? Are you like Christ? Or are you more like the world? See, if we're honest, if our response is that we do see obedience in some of these things, we're, we're a cheerful giver and we're quick to forgive, there should be gratitude in our heart. And that gratitude should drive us to say, Lord, thank you for the work you've done in me. Continue to do it. But if you're like me, and like most of us, if what you see in the reflection of this message is disobedience, then your response should be, Lord, help me. I'm a sinner. I need the righteousness that only you can provide making me one who truly forgives, making me one who's cheerful in giving.
Make in me one who is not judgmental. Destroy in me the condemning spirit that so eagerly, easily finds its place in my life. So church, who are you seeking to be like? Who are your models? Who's your instructors? Who's your guide? Are you following Jesus? Are you following the world? All we need to simply do is look at the reflection in the mirror of the word of God. Do we see judgmental spirit? Do we see condemnation? Or do we see forgiveness? Do we see giving spirit? For these are the traits of one who follows Jesus. And as Colossians 2.6 says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Let me read that again. So as you have received Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk in him. Walk in him. If he's your strength, if he's truly the source of your hope, then you should begin to reflect him, to glorify him, to honor him, to be like him. Because that should be our goal. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for the grace that's found in Christ alone. Lord, as we see the areas where we're not living up to this walk, Lord, please convict us. Please form in us a true repentance that hates sin and loves righteousness. Produce in us good works that honor your name. Help us in all things to put you first. God, I pray that we would see it's only by your strength, by your ability, that we're able to walk in you. But Lord, as we walk in you, may others begin to see that they should walk in you too. Help us to be your ambassadors. Help us to be the disciples you've called us to be. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.